Please open your Bibles today to the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. You'll find this on page 1149 of your pew Bible. Let me read Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, even to them... I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will strengthen us with your grace, your redeeming mercy, and the promises here in Scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week... We saw that Isaiah was focusing on the city of God in chapter 54. God's city is his church, and it would be glorified with the coming of Christ. It would be like a city having walls and foundations built with precious stones. The buildings in the city had rubies. And also the gates of that city in Isaiah 54, he says, were made of crystal. Then... With the city being such a glorified place, God also then invites people into the city. This is in chapter 55 last week. God invites people into the city and says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you have no money, come and buy and eat. And then in verse 5, God even says, Nations who do not know you will run to you. They'll be coming into the city of God. Because God has glorified his city so much. After God invited the nations in chapter 55, God also, even in chapter 55, guarantees the growth of his city. 
Because God says, my word will be sent forth and my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So you see the trajectory of this and how these chapters are structured. Chapter 54, the city is beautiful. Uh, chapter 55, God is growing the city. It is, it is great and the certainty of its prosperity. Now, let me ask this and answer this. If you were a Jewish person living during the time period of the Old Testament and you're here in chapter 55, how would you feel? You would feel the encouragement. You would feel the great hope and the great expectations of God's city in the coming future. And also, you would read chapter 50, 55, 56, verse 1, and you will look forward to the coming of salvation. Look, at it says, God says, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and he keeps his hand from doing any evil. What God is encouraging here, it's not about perfectionism or absolute sinlessness, because no human can be sinless. What God is encouraging here is faithfulness. God is encouraging His Jewish people in the Old Testament to look forward to His righteousness being revealed and be faithful in holding on to the promises of the covenant. That's what a Jewish person would look forward to. But when you read the rest of the Bible, the Apostle Paul would look at this verse in hindsight. The Apostle Paul will look at this verse in hindsight and write and write an entire epistle about this one verse. In this one verse, in Isaiah 56, verse 1, he says, My salvation is about to come and my righteousness is about to be revealed. This is the basic summary of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, Without the law of Moses, now the righteousness of God is revealed through the work of Jesus Christ. So what a Jewish person during the time of Isaiah would see in his foresight, uh, what's ahead of him, the coming of God's righteousness, the Apostle Paul will describe in the book of Romans in hindsight what God has accomplished in Christ in revealing His righteousness to the world, His saving righteousness. Let's move on, though, and go back to the mindset of a Jewish rabbi. During the time of Isaiah, and I want you to think about, in today's sermon, how would a Jewish rabbi understand and apply the passage I just read to you in Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse 3 to verse 8. A Jewish rabbi, as I said, he, was, he would be filled with the promises of God, the hope of God's city growing, the glorious city to come. But what I just read to you, let me suggest to you this, that when a Jewish rabbi in the time of Isaiah read it, he would experience what I would call an emotional let down. There's three stages of how a Jewish man would experience an emotional letdown 
whenever he reads Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8. First of all, there's the excitement stage. And this is pretty much a summary of what I've just explained to you. God's city is glorified. It's sparkling. It's beautiful. God even says, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm abundantly pardoning sinners. He'll have mercy upon the repentant in chapter 55. And His Word will not return void. There's this guarantee of success. His righteousness is going to be revealed. Salvation is coming. That's the excitement stage of the Jewish rabbi reading this passage. Then he gets to verse 3. And this is the confusion stage of the emotional letdown. The confusion stage is in verse 3 when, he, when God says this. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. For God says he will include the son of the foreigner and the eunuch in his people. This would be very confusing to a Jewish rabbi because these are two people groups that were explicitly excluded in the time of Moses' law. But now Isaiah is saying these two people groups will be included. Let me explain to you what a Jewish rabbi would remember when he reads this passage of Scripture. He would remember Deuteronomy chapter 23. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says the Ammonite and the Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation of his descendants, they shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 7 and 8, it speaks about the Edomite and the Egyptian. The Edomite and the Egyptian were to wait three generations before their sons could enter and join into the assembly of the Lord. And so at this point, the Jewish rabbi would read Isaiah and say, wait, how does this square up? How does this make sense with Deuteronomy chapter 23? Because now God is saying all sons of foreigners are going to be included into this new city. That's the first people group you see that's going to start causing confusion. Another people group or person group is the eunuchs that are mentioned here. In Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3, God says, Do not let the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree, but he's going, to, he's going to include the eunuch in the people of God, in the city of God. A eunuch is a man who cannot produce any children because either he was severely injured or he was castrated. For this reason, in the ancient world, kings and rulers... They would put eunuchs in charge of servants or caretakers within the households or even around women because they could trust the eunuchs to do their job and not offend others uh, with, with their any violation. And so also in other parts of Scripture, eunuchs are placed in authority positions. Uh, in, they're in charge of things or like chief officers in in various kingdoms and realms. But whenever it came to God's people, whenever it came to the priest 
in the tabernacle and the rulers and even the assembly of God's people, God did not allow eunuchs to enter. This goes back to chapter 23 of Deuteronomy. Verse 1, it says, A man who was emasculated by crushing or by mutilation, he shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. This is why the Jewish rabbi would be confused. He would look at this passage in Isaiah and say, Lord, how does this fit with the law of Moses? Or he would say, Lord, this does not fit with the law of Moses. What you have excluded with the Mosaic law, you are now including with these promises of Isaiah. You're including these people. So that's why I would say that the Second stage of the emotional letdown in this passage is confusion. The third stage and final stage of the emotional letdown is that the Jewish rabbi would have been offended at reading this passage. Notice that these promises that God gives to the sons of foreigners and the promises that God gives to the eunuchs, they are promises that are just as good given to the Israelites, if not better. Whenever you read this passage of Scripture, he tells the eunuch, he says, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the promises given to the sons of foreigners. God says in verse 7, Even to them, I will bring them to my holy mountain. They will be joyful in my holy house of prayer. Their offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And later in this passage as well, notice in verse 8, this is important, God calls Israel him. He says, The Lord who gathers the outcast of Israel says, yet I will gather to him, that's Israel, others besides who are gathered to him. So there's Israel and then there's others coming into Israel. So what would be offensive to the Jewish reader or the Jewish rabbi is God is promoting these eunuchs, God is promoting these foreigners on the same exact level and even giving them promises better than sons and daughters than the Jewish people or better than sons and daughters, he says in verse 5. Don't you sense the pride of a Jewish rabbi, the pride of a Pharisee that would be pricked by this and offended by this? This explains why the parable of the prodigal son was so offensive in Jesus' time. The prodigal son was about the older brother and the younger brother. The younger brother is the one who goes out and comes back and comes back to his father. But that younger brother was a symbol of the foreigner. The younger brother was a symbol of the outcast, the tax collector, the sinner. The older brother was a symbol of the Pharisees. The Jewish man who had so much pride in his heart and could not accept these people coming into the kingdom. 
Notice that the irony as well mentioned concerning the eunuchs in this passage of Scripture. God says He will give them a place and a name better than sons and daughters. Well, that's how, in the Old Testament, how do you keep your name going? You have sons, you have daughters, you have a family heritage. Well, a eunuch cannot have a family, cannot have children because some of his body parts have been cut off. Well, God says that this eunuch will have a name that will never be cut off. God is bringing redemption and promises even to the people who are categorized as eunuchs. So, for this reason, these three steps here, this is why there's an emotional letdown. Great promises, but then there's confusion of how these promises fit with the Scripture, and then there's the offense that you can sense that would prick the pride of the Pharisee or even the Jewish rabbi. Now, this theme of eunuchs does not stop here in the book of Isaiah. It actually continues into the New Testament. Jesus talked about how eunuchs would be included and even useful in the kingdom of God in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. In this passage of Scripture, you can at least say this, that Jesus is seeing that even eunuchs are useful in the kingdom of God, useful for heaven's sake. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah's words here in Isaiah chapter 56. In other words, you can say this as well. Jesus is, is outdating the Old Testament law, certain issues in the Old Testament, Testament law concerning the boundary markers, the jurisdiction markers of who belongs to God's covenant people and who is in, who is out. The Old Testament boundary markers are being brought down by the new covenant. And Jesus is outdating that Old Testament law. Also continuing on in the Bible, there's a theme of eunuchs being included in the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 8. Listen to this passage whenever Philip came to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip arose and he went, and behold, there was a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And this eunuch had charge over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. And the eunuch was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, How can I understand this unless somebody guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 
The place in Scripture which he read from was from Isaiah chapter 53. And it said, He was led as a lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, Philip, of whom does the prophet speak? Is he talking about himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Interesting, this eunuch from Ethiopia was reading Isaiah chapter 53. Just a few passages, a few, yeah, a few chapters right before Isaiah 56. And here in Isaiah 56, it talks about eunuchs being included in the city of God, in the kingdom of God. And there you have a literal eunuch in Acts chapter 8, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, being included in the assembly of the Lord in his church. And there he has a name that will never be cut off. This passage of Scripture also has some reflections in the New Testament. As you well know, Jesus cleansed the temple before they crucified him, went out there and he kicked people out of the temple. And he condemned them and he said, they're a bunch of a den of thieves. And he quoted this Scripture passage saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. That's exactly what God says here in Isaiah chapter 56, about his city, about his temple, about his house. Also, there's a reflection of this passage of Scripture in the book of Romans chapter 11. The Apostle Paul illustrates the church as a tree, an olive tree that's cut down, but it's growing. It's growing throughout the world, and God is engrafting people from all around the world, all around the nations, and including them in this new Israel. That's what, what Isaiah predicts here in verse 8. God says, I will gather to Israel others who are gathered to him. So it's the Jews in Jesus' day and in the apostles' day. And for the rest of time, the nations are coming into the new Israel, the church. Now let me give you two applications of this passage of Scripture and how you can see how this applies this passage in our time. First of all is this. In the near future, I would definitely say this, in the near future, probably a couple years from now, many people in America will look back and regret having a transgender surgery and all the procedures that are done to them to make them eunuchs. And many people will look back and repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news of the church is the church has a place for them. The church has a place for them to be forgiven, to be renewed, and even though there's been much damage done to their bodies, there's an everlasting name that God can give to them that will never be cut off. No matter how bad things get in our culture and how horrible it is in those certain corners of the world, in, a, in the way our culture is in such a demise, there's always this hope that is offered to the repentant. Those who join themselves to the Lord can have a new name and a new standing 
And the church can welcome any person who is repentant, even whenever they have made themselves into a eunuch. Secondly, you can think about this passage of Scripture. Think about the redemptive language of God. When we see people, we may look at a person and say, well, that's an Amalekite, that's an Ammonite, that's an Edomite, that's a Moabite, that's a man from Woodville, that's a man from Gloucester, that's a man from Macomb, or he's of that tribe, or he's a Russian, or he's a eunuch. All these people groups and different, different things, all these foreigners in our perspective. But in God's perspective, looking from heaven down, he sees a diamond. He sees a jasper. He sees a ruby. He sees a crystal. He sees an emerald. This is what is offensive to the Jewish Hebrew. This is what's offensive to the person who reads these promises of Isaiah and they can't see it with the, the great diadem, the great beauty of God's splendor and the different spectrums of God's people coming into the kingdom. This is what was so offensive to the Pharisees. They kept people in their people groups and Jesus was bringing them into the kingdom and they crucified Jesus for it. The point is this and encourages you to do this, that when you see different people of all colors and walks of life, look at them as beautiful, colorful stones. God sees people as beautiful, colorful stones when they repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't care really about their race, their tribe, their nationality, their tradition, their family heritage. That is not important in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's important to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being put in the temple of God, so to speak, so that you are now a new stone, a precious stone, and engrafted into the Lord's kingdom. And that is what Isaiah is given the vision of the Jews in his day. That there will be a kingdom that grows and grows and grows and engrafts people into the new nation. And to help, to help us identify with that, look at people as beautiful stones being or potentially engrafted into God's kingdom, into his glorious city. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your word, the promises of Scripture, and how your invitation is open to all the nations, to all the world. We pray, Lord, that your church, during these tumultuous times, will have the skill of wisdom, of insight, and persuasion to stand strong and, and to welcome all those who are repented in Christ Jesus into your heavenly kingdom and bless them, Lord, even with a name that will never be cut off. In Christ's name we pray, amen.